0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: The Squareball Podcast. Welcome to the show. It's brought to you with West Yorkshire Electrical Specialists in all things electrical. If it's got wires, Phil, they work with it. Um, they are the business that sponsored the Revi, Wilco and Bielsa Mural in Geisley, so good people. West Yorkshire Electrical, fully accredited, full range of services, far too many to mention here, both for your home and for your business. They specialise in renewable technologies. And with the schools going back here in the UK, it's worth mentioning that West Yorkshire Electrical do loads of commercial work in schools as well. So if you're in charge of one of those, give them a call. Uh, Fire alarm, security services, lighting installations, solar panel installations as well. And they cover the whole of Yorkshire and beyond. And it might even venture over the hills if you do ask them nicely. Finance available for work on your home or your business. Wyelectrical.co.uk for details or search West Yorkshire Electrical on your socials. There we go. We've done that. Uh, welcome them along to the show and welcome you along as well, Phil Hay from The Athletic, down here from the Square Ball. We are reflecting here at the start of the week show, Phil, on the performance against Sheffield Wednesday, goalless at Ellen Road as it finished. And the lead-off on your article, the, the, the main theme of it on The Athletic, your report on the game, is about Leeds having to learn how to, to manage these games and, and break these teams down.
2: Yeah, our schools went back today, by the way. Um, well, at least one of them wasn't, but I'm not here to moan about teacher training days, so I will moan about an 0-0 draw at, at Ellen Road instead. Yeah, it made me think that if if we go back to the previous two seasons that Leeds had in the championship, they saw a lot of this. And I think they're going to see a lot of it this season based on the fact that the first three games that they've had at Ellen Road, the first three league games, have followed this pattern of, of teams sitting deep, of teams not wanting to commit, of teams trying to pick them off with odd chances here and there. and of Leeds really having the challenge put to them of, can you break us down? Can you open us up? Do you have the craft and, and the invention um, to cut through us? And it is difficult in circumstances like Saturday where you do have a team camp behind the ball and we're... Room to play and room to work in, particularly in the centre of the pitch, is is very tight and, and very negligible. When Leeds were, were in the Championship um, 2018-19, 2019-20, when they won the title, one of the things they were very good at was confronting teams like Sheffield Wednesday on Saturday and finding a way to either annihilate them um, at the best or to find a way Uh, regardless, even if it was difficult to find a way through. And I think that was kind of the the story of the game on Saturday, that that there may well be a lot of games like Saturday's match. There may well be a lot of tactical approaches from visiting teams which are pretty identical or or similar to Wednesday's. And, you know, if if Leeds are going to play a significant part in the promotion battle, these are the sort of teams that you do need to beat. These are the sort of teams that you do need to find a way past. And and it was a struggle. I I think Farker was... Right and fair to say that there were chances to win that um, on Saturday. Wednesday did have a couple of themselves, a couple of very good ones, um, Callum Patterson's in particular, in the second half, which was a far more competitive part of the game than the first, where it really was Leeds on the front foot. But there wasn't enough, I don't think, and and the ideas weren't really there when it mattered. The ideas seemed to dry up quite noticeably, I thought, as it crept on towards full-time And I suppose you should be wary of sniffing at a nil-nil because Leeds just do not do nil-nils, haven't for a long time, have not been in the habit of recording clean sheets. And I suppose that is something for Farker to be pleased about. Um, But it was, I think, from start to finish, a little bit of a slog on Saturday.
1: In your article about this game, Phil, you drew some comparisons. And it's easy easy to do, isn't it, as well, because we're back in the championship. We're looking to get out of it. Farker likes to play possession-based attacking football. It's easy to draw comparisons with Bielsa's side, particularly, um, as you mentioned in your article, the 3-0 down at Carrow Road that nearly saw um, Daniel Farker get in the boot for Norwich before they went on to win the league title that year so it would be the first Bielsa season do you think this uh, football that Farker's trying to deploy is it slightly
2: more pragmatic than Bielsa's football is it is it as attacking no I don't think it is but then Generally, the football I've seen over the years has never been as out and out attacking as as Bielsa's style, and I don't think any of us were anticipating that from Farka. I don't think anybody was necessarily asking that from Farka to be to be that extreme in, in the attacking levels. It, it's just to, to to create a team who are ambitious and and do look to win games, which undoubtedly Leeds have tried to do so far. I mean, Farka was talking afterwards about the start of the season so far, and it's been mixed. I think it's fair to say they had a very good result against uh, Ipswich down at Portman Road. They were unlucky, I felt, not to beat West Brom. Um, Even though it was a late game against Cardiff, I I thought they, they had most of that game, probably did deserve to win it. Birmingham was poor performance generally and, and a poor game. And I think it was hard to complain with, with getting picked off right at the end of, of that. They hadn't played well enough really to deserve very much from it. But he was referencing back to the season, uh, the first season when he won promotion with Norwich. And he was saying it, it was quite a slow burn there. At this stage of the season, they had fewer points, which is correct. Timo Puki hadn't scored any goals, which again is correct. And clearly he went on to be a really big, big part of, of their team that season and really influential in, in them winning the title. And I think you have to remember that Leeds and Bielsa started like a house on fire in that season. And it is very rare and unusual to see a team click as rapidly as they did. I think it will forever be pretty remarkable that Leeds and Bielsa were able to do that in, in that summer. But that season, it was Fark and Norwich who, who won the title and they won the title irrespective of Leeds going to Norwich and, as you referenced there, beating them heavily 3-0, putting Fark in a position where his, his job was under quite a bit of threat, as as I recall, and at that point, there was nobody tipping Norwich to do anything particularly. And, and in the end, first place was was theirs. So I, I can tell, and, and he's been he's been pushing this narrative from the start, I think, Farka, that it, it, it can't be an overnight thing because of the circumstances, because particularly the way the summer and the transfer window has been, I think that's probably a fair point to make. I think he knows that Leeds will have to improve and, and we'll have to to get better. But I suspect he'll have gone away from Saturday thinking two weeks of international break now, bit of a chance to, to have... You know, I can certainly think about what's going on with the team, what's going on with the tactics without anything in the way of distractions of which they've just been endless amount um, through the, the close season and through the early part of, of this season. And perhaps on the other side of the international break, it will be a proper chance to find some rhythm, to get into a bit of a pattern and to get some consistency in the results, consistency at a good level. And the transfer window closed, obviously, only a matter of hours
1: before the Sheffield Wednesday game. We're going to have a, a bit more in-depth analysis of the transfers, I think, aren't we, towards the back end of the week with it being the international break, um, look at maybe what went right, not quite so right, that sort of stuff, Phil. Uh, but with that in mind, we saw the nil nil, our inability to break them down, uh, blooding a lot of new players. We saw Jed Spence getting his first um, minutes on the field, same with Glenn Kamara. D- does it feel to you, as Moscow said on our shows in the wake of the, the Sheffield Wednesday game, that
2: in many ways the season starts now? To a degree, without wanting to disregard the importance of the games that have that have gone by already, because obviously they they do matter. But you're right. I mean, Kamara getting his first minutes, Spence getting his first minutes. I think he was he, he was particularly impressive. A little bit, you know, little period he was on on the pitch. Although I have to say with Spence, I don't look at him and think of him as an impact player. I look at him and I think of him as somebody who needs to play. You know, I just think is very 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 talented defender, very talented right-back, wing-back, and I think would, would be extremely good in that position as, as time goes on. But, yeah, there's there's a lot that Farkin needs to work on that he hasn't been able to, or players he needs to work with who hasn't been able to because of the late arrival. Gruev from Berder Bremen wasn't in the squad on Saturday, wasn't, wasn't ready for that game because of how late the deal had gone through. Um, Kamara obviously signed shortly before. Jaden Anthony, who was the, the make-weight in the deal for Lewis Sinister going to Bournemouth, again, that was done last thing on Friday before the deadline so there was never any chance that he was going to be in the squad on Saturday which means that you know the starting lineup and the and the, the 20 as it is away at Millwall could look fairly different there were just I think some, some things that, that came out of the game on Saturday that, that were hard to, to avoid noticing I, I thought it was probably the first time that Archie Gray had looked a little bit jaded towards Towards the end of it and I think it struggled a touch. he's been great I think in the first month but it struggled to touch with constantly looking up and finding so many yellow Wednesday shirts in front of him, there was just never the, never the scope in the match to have you know gaps to pick at space in behind to, to play towards they were pretty disciplined Wednesday and they did stick to the game plan, they didn't, didn't particularly come to win the game, they didn't come looking for a lot of goals but they knew what they were going to do and, and they were, you know, the, the game plan for them worked as, as they would have wanted it to work but you have gray now not going away with England under 19s i think leads the fitness, fitness concern there but do want to manage his workload because he's so young and because this is his first batch of of first team football i think that makes sense but the good thing in that respect is that if gray needs a rest if gray needs to come out of the team at some point you now do have kamara you do have grey you do have ways of of mixing this up to the extent that there was so much choice in in the center midfield that they would have let Darko Jaby go um, on deadline day had he been able to sort out any of the the approaches um, that were made for him. But also on Saturday, I, I thought um, Joe Piro did well in the number 10 position down at Ipswich. But again, it, it, it kind of dawned on you that that game really suited him because Ipswich backed themselves. Ipswich were really aggressive, played openly, went went on the attack, left space open, and, and Pirro was able to make the most of it. Because it was so congested and because Wednesday were trying to choke the middle of the pitch... Didn't see anywhere near enough. Pirro didn't have enough of the ball, wasn't able to be influential. I think it was a day where it made an argument in those circumstances for for playing him up front, you know, playing him as a nine. And I I understand what Farka means when he says that, um, that Pirro has this game where he likes to drop deep and he likes to link up play and he's he's not just a, a box player, not just a, a poacher. But I don't think that makes him more of an, a 10 than it does more of a nine. I always felt that he was coming in to play centre forward and it it did just feel on Saturday that, that in games where it is that tight and where there is so little space to work with, maybe that is where you need him.
1: We've seen the team struggle a bit, even though we've now had the new additions come in. We saw it, you know, a couple of games ago, didn't we, with um... With Ruter up front in the number nine position, just looking a bit isolated and balls not getting in there, in, into them. How do you think we solve this this conundrum? How do we start to break through these these low blocks, these deep defences, these
2: 5-4-1s? I think he probably needs to work out, Farker, exactly who it is that's going to work best at 10. You know, is is it going to be Somerville? Is it going to be Pirro? Is it going to be Ruter? I think... It's a good thing that they didn't sign Amiri um, from Leverkusen, given all the messing about with that deal. And, and given that they spent the summer clearing out people who didn't want to be here, or were not quite sure. It didn't make an awful lot of sense to be bringing in somebody else who, who seemed to be in two minds. But to judge Amiri purely on the basis of ability and talent, he is probably somebody who would be tailor-made and, and perfect for for that kind of role. I think, obviously, Farka does think that Piro can can do that job. As I say, I, it seems to me that it will suit Piro far more when he has space um, than, than it will when he doesn't. And and while that's quite obvious to say, I think you can see the contrast between the Ipswich game and the Wednesday game, where I, I did feel that him being at nine would have been more of an, an advantage. If Archer was saying that he kind of hoped that um, Reuter's pace would have helped him to get in behind Wednesday, would have helped to stretch them a little bit. And there were, there were occasions where that happened and occasions where, you know, Wednesday were trailing a little, but Generally, it it was tight, and they seemed to have the measure of where Leeds were. The, the defending was was pretty good. They certainly have the talent out wide, Leeds. They they have the creative nous in on the wings. Um, and even though some um, Sinistera has gone to Bournemouth, Jaden Anthony, I think, will be a good player in the Championship. Not a like for like replacement in terms of ability. I think Sinister is a better footballer than him, but you might find that Anthony is. Fit more often than than Sinisterra, I think you'll you'll get a good contribution from him. But the the key position I think at the moment to work out what works best is is definitely that attacking midfield area, the, the ten in behind the the centre forward.
1: Yeah, there were points um, on Saturday when I was just kind of willing them to to get to the byline, stick a crossing in for Joel Pirro to be there on the end of it in the number nine spot. But because he was dropping deeper, you're not going to get that from him either. That sort of close range um, attacking play.
2: I sort of said at half time, uh, you, you would imagine that Farker will be looking for more energy, just a bit more snap in the passing, which is what's needed um, when when you are up against a really low block and against the team who who aren't massively willing to commit and I totally understand why Wednesday played like that they've had a very poor start and that's a pretty good pretty good point for them and you have to say in the second half it was far more balanced it was far more even and that chance for Patterson was give or take as good a chance as there was for anybody all day I don't think they would have deserved to have come away with, with a win but you know that's how it became after half time but yeah you're right and and it does you know, I think that the comparison with the Bielsa seasons is less about the style than it is about the way in which that team were able to navigate their way through matches like this and, and were able to come up against this kind of conundrum again and again. How do you get through a side who are not willing to give you space to to use? And they seem to have the solution time and time again, Bielsa's leads. They did regularly. And that's what Fark is going to need because there will be teams who will come to Ellen Road and, and have a go um, because of either where they are in the table at the time or because of the way that they play naturally um but i think we will see a lot of teams come and do give or take what wednesday did on saturday because they'll they'll play the percentages and, and they'll see it as the right way to go
1: given the way that game unfolded on on saturday phil um what did you make of the lateness of the subs i was kind of willing them to happen from about the hour mark 65 maybe something like that and i thought by the time 70 came around i thought surely now you do it but it wasn't until 10, yeah. 10 minutes out was it
2: yeah, I think so. I mean, again, we probably needed a good few more games to get a feeling for the pattern of Farka's substitutions and a feeling for how good he is at turning games and, and changing games. It, it felt like it needed something else on Saturday, although I don't particularly feel like the changes did make a huge difference. But somebody like Spence, if he'd had an extra 10 minutes, perhaps that would have been useful. Perhaps that, that would have been good. I don't know about you. It just, it just felt like a nil-nil game that from about, 50, 60 minutes onwards, you just could not feel a goal coming. And, and as I say, I suppose on the flip side, to go back over Leeds' defensive record, which I did in the piece that we've published this morning, it's been so poor for such a long period of time. And eventually you you have to get a grip of that. And and Farco will be pleased that, that there is a, a clean sheet on on the board. But I think given the way a lot of games are going to go at Ellen Road, your own clean sheet is only as important as breaking the opposition's clean sheet because a lot of, a lot of teams are going to come looking for that fussed
1: off. Yeah, it's still something to build on though isn't it? It's um, yeah. it's a platform to build from and I think that's my big takeaway from this game as disappointing as it was to see us kind of hit, hit that brick wall over and over again it's the sense that there is better to come and maybe just the, you know, the timing of the window and then this game coming hot off the heels of it closing and how late we did business all those things kind of um, factoring into why we couldn't break Wednesday down and I've got faith in them, I don't know about you, but I've got faith in them to start solving these problems.
2: Yeah, and the good thing is that for a while now, you can park the politics of which there's been a, an inordinate amount through the summer too much and, and too too many things that have dragged attention away from the games. I mean, the number of podcasts where we've kind of gone to the fixtures is a bit of a throwaway two minute chat towards the end of it because there's been so much else to to get into. Is It's kind of ridiculous. And I know that that, that is how the summer tends to be. I know it's how the transfer window can be, but I think Salford in the League Cup is probably the best example of a game that people were barely thinking about until it actually kicked off because of everything else that was going on round about. And that has been difficult, I think. It has been been tricky for Farker. What, what he has now is players in the door. He seems pretty content with his squad. I think we've spoken about number 10. I suspect there'll be Chat at various points before the turn of the year about left back, although I thought Shackleton was actually really good there um, on Saturday. I, I do think he he's had a, a strong start to the season. But for Farkin now, these two weeks, obviously, um, where, where he can do a little bit of work, but he now just has open space in which it is just training and games and training and games and training and games. And OK, there's till there in the camp who was agitating to go at various points through August. But that feels as if it's calmed down and that feels as if it's been settled in a way that Sinistera clearly hadn't been um, sorted out and hadn't, hadn't been resolved. So you would like to think that Farker will have a dressing room now where the kind of attitude in it and the feeling in it is fairly united, fairly together, fairly positive, And that you essentially have a group of players who do want to be here. And it'll be the first time in a while that that's been true. Mentioning Shacks there in passing, I thought he was great. I thought Ampadu was great
1: to probably stand out players on Saturday. Yeah,
2: uh, uh, Ampadu is well worth mentioning. I thought he was the best of the two centre-mids. And I was chatting to somebody who was saying, he's got all the feeling, Ampadu, of a player who is too good for the Championship, but still to prove that he's good enough for the Premier League. Kind of at the moment, I think very much in that bracket of midfielder who any Championship club would take um, any day of the week but needs to needs to push himself forward, needs to progress to get himself to the level where if Leeds do go up, he's he's effective in the Premier League or if he ends up somewhere else further down the line, he's he's able to play in that division. But yeah, you're right. He was really impressive. Shackleton was really impressive. I just feel constantly like I need to buy Shackleton a pair of boots with some tighter Velcro or some better laces.
1: Twice in two games. Can he make it a hat-trick at the uh, back down at,
2: um, at the den? The, the one at Epswich was amazing, actually. It was like... Um, it was like Chris Finch throwing the boots over the roof. It went for miles. Oh, in the office. It went further his boot than I can kick a ball, I think. So it wasn't quite like that on Saturday, but um, yeah, it's a recurring
1: theme. Something we can revisit when we talk later on in the week is the, the transfer window and the impact it's had. And I think this, um, well, possibly worth touching on very briefly now, this, um, this, this break is actually quite welcome, I think, in terms of yeah. giving everybody a chance just to exhale, calm down, let things bed in a little bit at, at Leeds, because... It is as you've as you've touched upon. I think both on on socials and in, in articles as well. It's been unlike anything I've experienced this this window yeah. in terms of churn, the stress related to the churn, and, and obviously transfers have become as you've said before their own almost sub industry of football, haven't they? The way that they're they're spoken about and tweeted about twenty four seven. It's it's absolutely relentless. And I remember waking up on on Sunday morning, and whilst there is a sense of disappointment at Leeds only being nil nil, just thinking. I don't have to stress about what Leeds are doing in the market
2: today. It didn't feel on Saturday like there was a huge amount of energy left, which kind of makes sense. I mean, it was almost as if Sinistera had burned the last of that. And I don't mean with the players specifically, but I just mean around the place. You know, Sinistera saga felt like it had burned the last of that right at the end of of the window. I mean, it's, I remember speaking to my editor at The Athletic after Leeds were relegated on that Sunday night. We ran a big piece on Radrazani and the theme of it was what next, you know, this, this guy owns the club, well, the majority stake you know, what he does next, his decision, that's going to going to shape everything, does he sell you know, do the 49ers buy and so on and I said to to my editor this summer is going to be non-stop there's never ever going to be breeding space in this summer because there's so much to do and there's so much unpredictability and so much that needs to fall into place, some of which is beyond the club's control, that they'll be going at this right until the end and I think I think Sinistera needing deal sheets to get to Bournemouth um and 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 for Jaden Anthony to come the other way in return was kind of symbolic of of the way it's been. And we can maybe chat more about this later in the week. But it is this and the summer of oh seven when they're in administration are by a mile the the two busiest summers I've ever covered, the most complicated summers I've ever covered. And I think the thing about 2007 is that that goes way beyond this summer as well i mean that was complex and unclear in a way that i don't think we'll ever ever see again you know at, at leeds um i don't i don't mean to tempt fate by saying leeds will never get into financial trouble ever again but i think people's knowledge and understanding now of administration and insolvency and financial issues is so much greater and clearer than it was back then and that, a lot of that summer was an absolute mystery it was also unprecedented in a lot of respects you didn't quite know how things were going to going to work out. And it did, you know, on on Saturday, it was kind of like there was no more drama left to give on that particular weekend. You know, the window had been as it was. Everybody needed a little bit of a breather. And I think you're right. I don't think these two weeks are bad for anyone.
1: Was that your big takeaway then from the weekend? The fact it's just a chance for us all now to kind of draw breath and see where it goes from here in a footballing
2: sense? Well, I felt like Ipswich was a little bit of a reset in as much as the club had almost got to the point where what they needed to deal with the problems, you know, what was problematic that needed to be sorted out had been dealt with. But then, of course, there was the the issue with Sinistera in the end. When we were chatting last week, we were kind of talking about the, the possibility that he might go before the window closed, talking about the possibility of, of a loan. And the reason for that was that despite what Fark had said, you know, about things being resolved and him back in training and everything else, from, from speaking to people around the club, it didn't feel as if the, the Sinister issue was closed. It didn't feel as if his attitude towards the release clause or, or his issues, his problems with how the release clause had been handled had, had gone away. Um, and that's how it proved in, in the end. So it wasn't a, a great, great surprise. But I think... This probably is reset point now. You've got the players that you've got. They can't go even if Nonto kind of sees himself elsewhere. There's absolutely no scope for him exiting the club until January at the earliest. Um, I wouldn't have said again in his performance on on Saturday. There seemed to be any attitude problem, and in, in fact, I, I thought he was the one player after half time who seemed to be turning it on a bit and seemed to be to get getting going. You felt as if you know if it was going to happen, it was probably going to come via Nonto or, or something that he did. So yeah what Moscow said there about the season starting properly is is probably right and if we're being honest looking back was probably how it was always going to be so final
1: question then good point bad point or ask you again in May
2: and probably ask me again in May I think indifferent point would be would be fair absolutely they are the teams you have to beat if you're going to get into the promotion mix if you, you're going to go up and again to go back to Leeds previous championship seasons that was what they did you know, so regularly and so routinely was turned teams like that over. Even if it was narrow, you know, find a way and, and make it happen. But, you know, I, th- I think if you get into October and November and you're still having problems in fixtures like this, that's when it compromises you and that's when it starts to, to cost you. But I think at this stage in August, it's it's not something to lose sleep about massively. No,
1: we will uh, wrap up the transfers then back uh, towards the back end of the week, the show for Friday. We've got propaganda coming on Tuesday. Uh, Our weekly roundup on Thursday ahead of all that. We'll speak to you soon. Cheers, Phil. Thank
2: you. The Square Ball Podcast.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more.